Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey, let's jump into today's Bible study. If you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Again, we are in part 3 of our Reintroducing Jesus series. And I want to encourage you, if you can, to grab a Matthew journal. An ESV Matthew journal can be found on Amazon for about $5. We're going to try to get a whole bunch a lot cheaper than that. Uh, But these are just incredible way for you to follow along. We're going through the book of Matthew from verse 1, chapter 1, all the way to the end. And we're going to do that over the course of this next year. So if you have this Matthew journal, you can follow along with the scripture and you can write down what you're learning or what you're thinking as you go and keep it all in one place. I'm going to be using this as I preach and teach. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. So today we are in Matthew chapter 2. We've made it through one whole chapter, just 28 more to go. And uh, we're pretty excited about this study. We're going to ask this question today because it's an integral part of Matthew chapter 2. Why Jesus? Pretty interesting question, right? Why Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, why? Why have you decided to follow Jesus? Why have you made him uh, the person that you believe in and that you trust in? And, And if you don't follow Jesus, why not Jesus? Why would someone follow Jesus? This question is the question for the entire book of Matthew. The stories that he writes, the the information that he gives, the order that he lays things out is all around this question. And in the book of Matthew, you want to consider who decides to follow Jesus and why, and who decides not to follow Jesus and why. You know, I am just naturally a skeptic. I'm a skeptic of information. I'm a skeptic when the newscaster at night comes on the news and tells me what happened and where. And I'm a skeptic of which channel has which preferences and biases. I'm a skeptic when someone sends me a video uh, online to try to convince me of something. My mom loves to send videos over Facebook Messenger. And, and I, where did this video come from? And who's saying it? And, and I don't believe that for a second. And, and I'm just skeptical. And I think there is a good, uh, a good, healthy amount of skepticism, excuse me, that we all should have. But I've, I've taken that same skepticism to religion, to faith, to Jesus. And I've asked myself over the course of time, why Jesus? I, do I believe this just because people I know believe this or I grew up in America or, or should there be another religion or another faith? What's true and why? And so in my pursuit of understanding my faith, uh, I've come to answer this question for myself, why I believe in Jesus. Matthew asked that same question and he asks it of you and he asks it of the people that he tells us about. Everybody has to wrestle with this question and everybody has to understand why they, how they answer this. And the way that you answer this makes all the difference. Now just think of it for a second. In the book of Matthew, we're going to see stories about people who follow Jesus. And it's important to understand why they decided to follow Jesus. There are other people who decide not to follow Jesus. 
and we want to see why they decided not to follow Jesus. What was it that kept them from Jesus? And if you're here today and you're exploring faith, you're curious about Jesus, maybe you grew up in, in a religious system and, and you're not sure if you really believe it all, maybe it was your spouse that believed it, uh, or maybe you're just kind of looking for hope somewhere, why Jesus? And I want, I want to invite you to, to think about what would it take for you to believe Jesus is God. To believe Jesus is who Matthew says he is. And in Matthew chapter 2, we get some very interesting stories and we're introduced to people who either accept or reject Jesus. And that's what we're going to look today. And we're calling our study this morning, Unwise Men. You have your Bibles and you go to Matthew chapter 2. I'm not going to read this entire chapter uh, right now, but I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't already at some point in the next 24 hours. But in Matthew chapter 2, we have this famous story of the wise men. We have uh, the king of Judea, Herod, is involved here, and several other interesting characters. Let me just remind you of what's being taught. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in the very first chapter, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came. Now, it's really important why Matthew started this chapter this way. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But he says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And then he introduces us to these crazy characters, the wise men, who saw a star that appeared when Jesus was born, and they followed that star from afar off, and they came to find Jesus to worship him. They were convinced that Jesus was king, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they came to Judea, and instead of going to Bethlehem proper, they went to Jerusalem, and they met with the king. Because, of course, the king would know where the future king was born, right? And so they meet with Herod the king, and Herod is not a good guy. Herod's a, Herod's a hor horrible king, he's a, he's a tyrant, he's, he's self-promoting, he's not kind to his people, and his history is very spotted. And Herod is going to lead us to one of the darkest moments in all of the Bible in this chapter. Herod hears about this new king, and he sends the wise men out to find this king, and then report back. He says he wants to worship this king, and that's the opposite of what he wants to do. Nonetheless, the wise men go, they follow the star, they find the king, and we're going to look at their reaction when they meet Jesus. And it's pretty incredible. And after they find Jesus, they are, they are convinced not to go back to Herod, but to go home another way. Herod is furious about this. He takes us into this very, very dark moment that Matthew shares with us. And Jesus ends up moving from Bethlehem to Egypt and then to Nazareth after he dies. Today we want to understand why in the world did Matthew tell us all of these things. And it's life-changing information. So let's look back in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. We shared this thought. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of the king. The wise men came from the east and they said, Where is Jesus who has been born king? For we saw the star when it rose and we have come to worship him. This is our first set of characters who decided to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Why in the world Jesus? Why would these wise men 
have done all of this to follow Jesus. Now you see the wise men that came are not the same wise men that you have in your nativity scene. Just throw that away. It's just wrong. These wise men came months to years after Jesus was born. There probably wasn't three of them. There was probably a bunch of them. And I, again, they weren't even kings. They were magi. They were more of wizards. Think, think more of like Harry Potter and less of like uh, a, a, a great king, Henry VIII. These guys studied the stars and they followed the stars and they followed and worshiped the celestial. And these guys who were from the East somehow knew about the prophecy of a coming Messiah, God himself, who would save the world and set up his kingdom. And they were convinced because of what they saw in the sky that Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy, that he was God. The reason they believed in Jesus and they followed him, their answer to why Jesus was because the stars told us so. God took a star to announce Jesus' arrival as the king of the world. And these guys believed it. So much so that they traveled for months through very... For a very, very long journey, they, they met with the king, they sought him out, and they followed him. Their lives changed completely from star worship to worshipers of Jesus. This brings us to an interesting truth. The wise men followed Jesus, and here's what we need to know. God can turn our idol worship into true worship. The Bible is full of places where God does this. He takes the thing that we idolize, that we worship, and he uses that very thing to prove that he is God. In the Old Testament, he tells us stories where, where he announces himself over false gods. But you don't have to worship a statue or a false god to have an idol. Anything can become an idol in your life. Anything that takes the place of God. Even for Christians, we can take God off of the throne of our heart and we can allow other things to be what we worship in given seasons. It can be a, uh, someone we love. It can be power. It can be money. It can be uh, comfort or, or joy itself, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, food. It can be so many things that we idolize. And God can take even those things to help us become convinced that he is God even over those things that we worship. Let me give you a couple examples from the Old Testament. The first thing that I want to remind you of is the 10 plagues in Egypt. These 10 plagues, if you remember back, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God was going to set my people free. So he sent Moses to convince Pharaoh to let all of the slaves go. And Pharaoh did not want to use it, lose his workforce. So he said, no, we're keeping them as slaves. And so God sent 10 plagues to Egypt. Now, if, if we uh, remember this story, we're in Egypt... And we have these 10 plagues. Now, what were some of the plagues that happened? Well, the Nile River was turned to blood. That was the very, very first one. There's, there's all kinds of these, but there's the, the plague of the frogs. There's the plague that killed all of the cattle. There's the, the flies and the gnats that come. There's darkness that spreads over the land. And ultimately, there's the death of the firstborn. Now, why these 10 plagues? The Egyptians were famous for, for having tons of gods. They had all kinds of gods that they followed and that they believed in. 
and, and that they were dedicating themselves to. It's who they worshipped. And each and every one of these plagues, God was saying, you worship that, I'm actually the God of that. You think that's where the power comes from? I have power over that, that you worship. I'm going to take what you worship and what you idolize and show you that I am the one true God that you should obey and that you should follow. So in the Egyptian belief system, there was a God who actually, his lifeblood was the Nile. And so when God said, hey, I'm going to turn this river into blood, and he actually did it, he was, he was saying, you believe in the blood of the Nile? I am the God that has the power over the Nile. There was a, a God that had the head of a frog. There was gods that were the gods of the dust where the gnats came from. There were gods that were over the cattle and looked like cattle. And in every case that God, if you believe in the God of the flies, I'm actually in charge of the flies. There's a God of light. And in Egypt, one of their most famous gods is a god named Ra. And he is the god of the sun. He's like the Zeus character of Egyptian mythology. Well, God said, you believe in Ra? I am more powerful than Ra. You should follow me. And finally, the death of the firstborn was to show that God was even over Pharaoh himself, who set himself up as a god and had control over the life of his people. You see, God did this all the time. He takes what we worship, uh, our idol worship, and points us to what we should truly worship. There's one more story in the Old Testament where this comes through in spades. If you remember the story of Jonah in the whale, this fantastic story where Jonah, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because they were evil and awful. And Jonah says, no thanks. He gets on a boat and he goes the other way. And God sends a storm and they throw Jonah into the ocean. He gets followed by a, swallowed by a great fish. And for three nights and three days, he's in the belly of this fish. And he repents and he says, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. Just get me out of here. And God tells the fish to swim to Nineveh. And the fish spits out Jonah onto dry land right in front of the city. So imagine you're a fisherman, right? And you see this giant fish surface. And here, I mean, it's I mean, it's the fish of fish, right? This is the biggest fish you've ever seen. And he comes up and, he, and the fish is a little bit green in the gills. And he vomits out a man. This fish releases this guy, Jonah, out of his mouth and spits him right out. Why did God do that? Why is that a story we need to know? Well, if you knew anything about Nineveh, where Jonah was going, the Babylonian people worshipped a god called Dagon. Dagon was who they believed in. They had statues for Dagon, and they, they, they followed Dagon. And Dagon was a half-fish, half-man god. And God was saying to the people of Nineveh, you believe in a half-fish, half-man God? I'll send you a half-fish, half-man God to tell you who the real God is. And they saw that Jonah came out of the belly of this fish. And they pointed right to a, a direct connection to the God that they followed, the person that they idolized. And God says, no, you should worship me. Go ahead and look at what Dagon looks like. Uh, this is a picture of, of Dagon, the Babylonian god, and this is an artist rendering of Jonah coming out of an alligator thing. Really, the Bible says it was a fish. 
and God saying, listen, I can take what you worship and I can use it to point to me. And when Jonah brought the message of one true God, they followed him. They believed him and they repented of their sins. The same is true for the wise men. They believed in the God, they believed in the stars, they believed, believed in the celestial, and God used the stars to point to the one true God so that they would see in the darkness, in the, in the darkness, this light that pointed to Jesus who says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And they were convinced that this Jesus was the Messiah who was worthy of their lives and of their worship. You see, we look at this story and we think about this fact, this, this truth, that light shines brightest in the darkest days. Light shines brightest in the darkest days. And remember, we said that King Herod was a horrible king and he persecuted his people with horrible, horrible cruelty. In this dark season, God shone this light and it was unmistakable to these wise men. Because the days were so dark that there needed to be light. There needed to be a Savior. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we have this light in dark days. We have this hope in the, in the world around us that God is the light of the world. And he's asked us as followers of Jesus to live in that light. We can have joy and peace and happiness even amidst the storm. And he says to us, you are my light. You are the salt of the world. And as we've traveled through dark times, through hard days, through, through kids struggling with homeschooling, through economic fallout, through fear of losing our health or losing a loved one, of all the people in the world, we should be the ones who carry the light. And when you carry the light, you shine brightest in the darkest of days. Why Jesus? Because he is the light of the world. He gives us joy. He gives us hope even in hard times and in dark seasons. This is the God we follow. This is why Jesus. And if you're wondering about your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for light, I want to invite you into a personal relationship with this Jesus. Today, become convinced that Jesus is God and that he's calling you to follow him and worship him and accept the free gift of salvation today as we introduce you to Jesus. As we go on with our story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, it says, He, Herod, sent the wise men to Bethlehem, saying, Go and seek diligently the king, and when you find him, bring him to me, and I'm going to worship him. That's not true. We know that, that Herod was troubled, greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod didn't want to worship the king. Herod wanted to eliminate the competition. You see, Herod is our next character who decided not to follow God. He decided not to follow Jesus. He didn't want to accept that this was the Messiah because he didn't want to lose his kingship. He didn't want to lose his throne. And he didn't care how many prophecies this lined up or how many wise men came or how many miracles Jesus would do. He was the king and nobody else. Here's the truth. Kings make the worst followers. Kings are horrible at following. Kings don't do a good job at following. Kings take the lead and they are proud and they are in control and they don't follow. This Herod said, I'm not going to follow anyone. I'm going to stay in charge. And for a lot of people, this is the reason they reject Jesus. Because we are the king of our own world. We are the kings of our lives and nobody can tell us what to do and how to do it. And I'm not going to follow a Jesus who gives me rules and Ten Commandments and tells me how to live and not to hate and not to gossip and not to think those thoughts or say those words. 
And, and the reason that they reject Jesus is because they are rejecting being con- told what to do. They're rejecting wanting to be uh, in control. I, I think about this big fear that a lot of people have about these new automated driving cars. And would you drive in a car that, that you weren't in control of? Would you let a computer drive your car, just sit back and just hope that you get from point A to point B? Most of us are like, no way, I'm going to drive that thing. But when you look at the stats, these automated cars that are driven by computer have far less accidents by percentage than cars that are driven by you and I. We crash our cars all the time. Because we want to be in control. We don't want to hand control over to something else or someone else. It's kind of natural in our, in our flesh that we say we are the ones that should make the best choices for us. But who would you rather be in control of your life? Who would you rather be in control? Someone who has all the answers? Someone who has the best perspective over time? Someone who has all the power? Or do you want to trust in your own limited judgment, your own weak perspective, your your minuscule understanding of the universe? No, I'm going to be in charge of me and no one can say God's going to be in charge of me. That's the attitude of a king who's a bad follower. So Herod rejects Jesus and, and Herod was building his kingdom. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. Whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you pouring yourself into day after day? What are you fretting over? What are you going after? And if it's not God's kingdom, if you're spending more time on your power, on your wealth, on your relationships, on your happiness, as opposed to what God is calling you to do in his kingdom and his pursuit and and his truth, then you're the king who's having a trouble following God. We want to be people that give ourselves to God's kingdom and not our own. So, Whose kingdom are you building? And maybe in this season, you've become a little bit self-focused. Maybe in this season, you realize that you haven't been thinking about God's kingdom, the opportunities he's given you, the people that you can serve. You haven't been deepening your faith. And maybe today you need to be reminded that kings make bad followers. And you need to be about the business of building God's kingdom. You see, God has something for you. I'm talking to you, the person sitting here listening right now. God has something for you this week that he wants you to do for his kingdom. Don't get distracted by building your kingdom first. Build God's kingdom this week. I want you to ask God, what is it that he has for you? What is it that, that he's calling you to do, that he's asking you to build this week that's gonna last forever and won't just last in this lifetime? Kings make horrible followers. When Herod heard all of this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled the chief priests and scribes of the people. Now everyone was upset because Herod was upset. It's like if dad's mad, the whole house better watch out. That's how Jerusalem was like. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, religious leaders, they come up to Herod. And Herod asked them, where is this king supposed to be born? These are the people that knew the Bible. They knew the prophecies. They understood it. And so they answered Herod and they said that the king, the Messiah, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem and Judea. That's what all the prophecies say. Now here's a really, really interesting thought. If these priests and scribes actually believed 
that Jesus was the king and he was just born in Bethlehem, they had a choice to make. Are they going to throw their lot in with this baby king? Or are they going to throw their lot in with Herod? They had a choice about who they would follow. And these religious leaders and these scholars of the day chose not to follow Jesus. Now here's a powerful truth. Don't be too religious or too smart to follow Jesus. We don't want to be people that are too, uh, too, too, too wise in our own eyes and think we have everything figured out. Here's one of the problems with being a skeptic is we think we have the power to figure out all the right answers. And even in your skepticism, you have to realize that you are limited and that you are not the smartest thing in the entire universe, that you do not have all the answers. And there are so many people that reject Jesus because they think that religion or belief in Jesus is just a way to fill in the blanks that you don't know the answers to. Oh, I can't figure that out. It must be divine. It is so much more than that. Jesus is so much grander and so much higher and so much more powerful than we could ever figure out. But Jesus is not just a hope and a pipe dream. He is a logical and reasonable explanation to the events of this world. And Jesus and a belief in Jesus does not have to conflict with intelligence or science. Your faith doesn't have to go against what's happening in this world. You can believe in Jesus and hold on to intellectual truth. As a matter of fact, truth is truth and it'll be true in many different forms. But so many times we are too smart for Jesus and we become our own God. And then there are other people out there who are religious and they are pious and they follow a religious system and they follow uh, religious organizations and religious leaders and they give themselves to it. And when Jesus comes along and says, stop following that religion and follow me, they can't give up their grasp on the religion that they hold. Even, even when they're introduced to Jesus the King. And you may be a religious person that's been following a, a set of rules or been following a leader for, for a long time. For you, it's going to be very difficult to give that religion up to follow Jesus. But what I want to say to all of us today is don't be too religious. Don't be too smart to see the truth that Jesus loves you, that Jesus fulfills prophecy, that Jesus is the hope of the world, and that Jesus is this Messiah, this God that we should worship and that we should follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20 says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We've got to give up our thrones. We've got to give up our own trust in self. And we just simply have to believe in Jesus. Listen. I believe in Jesus because of, of the fulfillment of prophecy, because of the miracles that he did. I believe in Jesus because he rose again from the dead. But I also believe in Jesus because I've experienced him, because I've felt him, because I've talked with him, because I've walked with him. And Jesus is real to me. And I can't explain it, but I can tell you that it's true. 
And God takes the foolishness and our limitations and he allows us to trust in his wisdom as we go through this life. You see, the Bible says in 122 that Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach God crucified. Now, what Matthew is doing is called apologetics. Matthew is giving an answer for his faith. He's giving an answer for my faith and he's letting you know what to believe and why to believe it. And so Jews, they were demanding signs, prove it, do these miracles. And Greeks, they were looking at wisdom and philosophy and logic. And, and Matthew's coming along saying, I preach Christ crucified. And he was trying to convince both the religious and the smart people that Jesus was the Messiah. And so many times as we do this, we're trying to answer one of two questions. We think that people often are asking the question, is it true? And so we give facts and we give evidence and we, we debate and we, we kind of fight for uh, these, these facts and we, we try to explain it to them. And we can explain and explain and debate and debate until we're blue in the face. But that's often depending on our smarts. What people really want to know and, and where we really get down to some apologetics is does it work? Does faith in Jesus work? Does, does what you believe actually work? Does it transform your life? Does it bring you this hope? Do you have this joy that is claimed to come in the presence of God? And so when you're explaining Jesus to someone else, here's what we need to do. Number one, we need to tell them the truth, but we also need to show them that it works. And here's one of the great challenges for Christianity. We say that the light shines brightest in the darkest days, but when it gets dark, we Christians turn into angry, mad, bitter people. Why are we so sad? Why are we so dejected? Why are we so anxious? If we believe in the king of the universe, it should absolutely transform our lives, and then we should be that light. I, I, one of my greatest desires in life is to see more people come to know Jesus and my neighbors and my family members and my, the people that I work through, with in our town and in our community. I want them to know Jesus. And so I tell them about Jesus. I, I tell them I believe in Jesus. I tell them why I believe in Jesus. And we, we have a, a great next door neighbor named Michelle who we love dearly. And, and they moved in recently. And Michelle's been through an incredible amount of heartache. She's had a double mastectomy and it's left, her, uh, it's left her without the ability to do some of the physical things that, that she was uh, normally used to do. Michelle is a fantastic cook, by the way. She does incredible things with the meals that she makes. And just over this last uh, season, it snowed a lot, right? We had snowstorm after snowstorm after snowstorm. And this last snowstorm didn't start till later in the day. And her husband, who works down in Philadelphia, left at 4.30 in the morning and went for a drive, but the snow started at 9. And it snowed heavy from 9 through uh, the, the middle of the afternoon. And so my wife and I went out and we shoveled our walkway and we realized that, that Michelle was home alone. Her husband wasn't there to help shovel. And so Jenny just automatically goes over and she starts shoveling the driveway of Michelle. Now, now, not to be overdone or outdone by my wife, I go over and I start helping Jenny clear the snow on our neighbor's driveway. And it took us all of 10 minutes to get that snow out of there. Later that evening, we got a note from Michelle. And Mich Michelle said that she looked at the window and saw her neighbor shoveling her driveway, which she could not do because of her surgery. And all of that day, she was just worried about her husband driving home from Philadelphia and coming to a driveway full of six or seven inches of snow, but it was clear. It was taken care of. 
And in that moment, as she looked out that window, she says, I don't cry very much, but I cried. I cried because someone thought of me in this moment. Now, shoveling a driveway is not that big of a deal. I mean, it's, it, it's 10 minutes of our time. And in most cases, it would have just kind of gone mostly unnoticed. But in these dark days, in this hard challenge, the light shone bright when the kindness of Jesus was given as an example. Yes, we love our neighbors and we want to tell them about Jesus, but we also want to show them the love of Jesus by shoveling their driveway, providing for people for uh, food that don't have it, by being loved and not being mad and sad and grumpy as people who follow Jesus. You see, the wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw a child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. You can't jam more joy into this passage. You can't jam more wonder into this moment. They were thrilled that they found the king and they worshipped him and they, they adored him and they showered him with gifts. They partied and they sang and they cheered and they cried because following Jesus is wonderful. It's a fantastic thing to be a follower of Jesus. And we want to invite everybody into this incredible relationship. But if you say that you're a Christian and you go around life miserable, then you're losing your most powerful apologetic. Your life is the best argument that you have to show other people why Jesus. And these wise men proclaim Jesus with their spirit and with their words. We need to tell them that it's true, but we got to show them that it works. So Matthew writes this book. He writes this entire study. He writes these stories for this very specific reason. Don't just tell them, persuade them. And Matthew is trying to persuade us that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's why Matthew includes this final story. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. He sent out, he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. This is the moment. This is, this is one of the hardest things to read in the Bible. Could you imagine being a part of Bethlehem, being a part of Judea, and having every young male who was a part of this kingdom, your neighbor's kids, your nephews, those that were just celebrating brand new life, being executed by the king because he was mad. This is just tragedy on top of tragedy. Why did Matthew tell us this? Why did, he, why did he put this in this story of Jesus' birth? The reason Matthew told us this was because this last sentence, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. You see, the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah and the pro prophet Ezekiel all talk about the coming Messiah. And they give us predictions and they give us prophecies. And there was a prophecy that there would be weeping over children connected to the Messiah. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew specifically points out this four times. That Jesus who was born from Judea, this was written by the prophet. 
that Jesus would move to Egypt and out of Egypt he would call him his son was predicted by a prophet. That there would be weeping over children was predicted by a prophet. And it was spoken by the prophets that they would cause him, call him Jesus the Nazarene. You see, this episode of Herod going after the children is what caused Jesus to move from Bethlehem, where he was born, to Egypt, where he would be safe. And then just a couple of moments, a couple of years after this moment, Herod dies. He dies a horrible death. He had a debilitating disease that caused him incredible pain. And it's likely that he took his own life to escape the pain. And it's a rightful death for this wicked man. And this wicked man dies and Jesus is now saved to come back as a young, as a, as still as a child from Egypt and then moved to Nazareth. Why does it matter that Jesus from Nazareth? Because the prophet said that he would be a Nazarene. All of these prophets are specifically fulfilled in this story. This is why we have Matthew chapter 2. Don't forget in Matthew chapter 1, he goes to great pains to give us his resume and to tell us that he was a king because he was the son of David and that he was a blessing to all nations because he was Abraham. Two more prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament and in Matthew chapter 1, it said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And he tells us that story at the end of, uh, of chapter 1. Matthew is telling us that we should believe in Jesus. And he's showing us that it works. He shows us the story of the wise men and what happens when you follow Jesus. He shows us the story of Herod and what happens when you don't follow Jesus. So today we ask the question, why did you choose to follow Jesus? What would you need to know? What would you need to understand if you're not a follower of Jesus to become one today? And if you do know Jesus, what convinced you? What's brought you to faith in him? And are you shining brightly for Jesus? Are you building the kingdom of God? Do you find your hope in him? And if you're ready to receive Jesus, you can have all of these incredible things. Being a Christian is wonderful. And it's God designed for our lives. You see, Unwise men follow Jesus. Unwise men follow Jesus. We, we forget all that we think we know, and we just put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. I want to invite you into this personal relationship and to, and to communicate with us as we close out our service today. We're going to have a, 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 some time for you to fill out this connection card. And what we want to ask you to do is to go ahead and fill out some follow-up questions. If you have any questions about the theology, about the history, about this chapter, go ahead and ask it. We may answer that question in a future Sunday morning or on an online talkback. We'd love to know what questions you have. And if you have any questions about your faith, or if you're ready to accept Jesus as your personal faith, on this card, you'll find that gospel tab that we talked about. And you can go there and hear more about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. To today, choose to follow him. And we'd be excited to know that you made that choice today. So take the next couple of moments and fill out your connection card. We're so glad that you worshiped with us here today. And we want to invite you back next time as we go into our uh, third part of following Jesus, chapter three, and reintroducing Jesus as we continue on with this incredible study. We'll see you next time. Thanks for worshiping with us today.